Good morning, everyone. The tragic and heartbreaking events have swept the news cycle and has put new light on issues of racism, prejudice, and bias. I believe like never before, the church needs to address these issues because we can lead the way and we as a church can show people and model for people how we can have harmony in relationships. This is why we need to talk about these issues because as a church, we can actually lead the way and paint a picture of a brighter future. So that's what we want to do today and this morning. Sadly, many of us have been around people who have practiced racism. And sadly, at times we have either said nothing or perhaps we even said maybe too much at times or the wrong things. But what we want to try to do is to live in a world in which we are leading the way because of Jesus Christ. We have the answer. We have the solution, which is not politics, which is not embracing some statements, but is actually embracing people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're about. And that's what we want to talk about today. Now, here's the temptation that many people are going to have. You're going to be listening to me and you're going to say, I'm so glad that I personally don't have this problem and I don't need to, I don't need to engage with it. It's somebody else's problem. That's the temptation we're going to have. But I want to tell you something that often inside of us are biases that we have. And we look at people and we have a natural tendency to have a bias. And we may not be aware of it, but we need to think about it and we need to address it in our own lives. And as a church, we need to be keenly aware about it as people of all different colors come into our church. And we need to be the kind of people because of Jesus Christ that we are embracing others. Can I remind you that peace is a scarce commodity? We don't have a lot of it. In fact, all throughout the Bible at times, there has not been peace. Cain killed Abel. I mean, the first kids in the Bible, they're having a skirmish and they kill each other. Cain killed Abel. And in fact, in the Bible, Jonah the prophet, God sent him on a mission to reach the Ninevites, people who were far different than he was. And he said, no, I don't want to go. I mean, he didn't present the message that God had for him to the people of Nineveh. And so Jonah was a failure in that respect as well. Entire groups of people, entire groups of people have not been getting along. Forever, Jews and Gentiles have not been getting along forever. In fact, in the Middle East today, we still see conflicts. Entire groups of people are not getting along. And we see that on the streets of America as well. Whether it was ethnic cleansing in Bosnia, people not, uh, uh, millions of Christians being killed in Africa today. Whatever the case is, entire groups of people, there is not peace as well. In America, we feel this racial tension. We feel the palpable sense that something is wrong. And we're asking ourselves, what's the problem? What is the problem and what can we do about it anyway? Well, I don't think the answer to the problem is the United Nations and I don't think the answer to the problem is, is electing the right leaders and I don't think the answer to the problem is passing the right laws. And I do, all those could be great things. Don't get me wrong, but the solution lies elsewhere. So let's identify the problem. Number one, if you're taking notes, number one, the problem is distancing. Now, then we live in a culture of distancing right now. We are separated from each other physically. You're at home. I, I'm here at the church. Uh, even if you came to church on Sunday, we're going to be distant from each other. So there's a distancing problem. So why do I say the problem is distancing? I believe it's a double-edged problem. One, we are spiritually distant from God. 
Every human being, being is alienated from God. There's a disconnect between us and a holy God, and the Bible calls that sin. Apostle Paul is quick to point that out in the New Testament, that people are alienated from God because of our sin problem. So we are spiritually distanced from God. But the Apostle Paul is quick to point out that entire groups of people and individuals can be disconnected as well. And that's either the sin of pride or selfishness, a lack of humility, but both those things are pointed out. So it's like a double alienation. I'm alienated from God. I'm alienated from other people. And so the Apostle Paul is pointing that out in various places in the New Testament. Jesus points that out as well, that we are alienated from God and we are alienated from each other. So what's the result of that? Number two, the result is broken relationships. Because we're alienated from God, our relationship with our Creator is broken. And because of sin, we have, well, broken relationships to people. I don't know if you observed it. I'm sure you have. We live in a broken world. Everything is broken. Our systems are broken. Society is broken. Families are broken. Why is that? It's a spiritual problem. It's what it is. You see, any time that you think life is going to be perfect and advances in science or sociology is going to take care of these problems, you're, in the, you're, you're going down the wrong path. Those things are not going to solve the root cause because it's a spiritual problem. There are two views to every problem in life. There's what other people think and there's what God thinks. Two views. I'm going with what God thinks. What does God think about this situation? What does God say in His Word about this situation? Now, we live in a society right now that things are very fractured. Families are fractured. I mean, just the COVID thing alone caused a lot of fracturing in our families. The thing with racial tension has fractured things in our communities. Things are on fire. Uh, 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 There are riots. There's just a lot of difficulty in our society right now. But it's because we live in a broken world. And we can see the, the results of that in so many ways in our schools, in our families, divorces, strange relationship as well. The world is broken, and we need, to, we need to understand that. So Paul says that things are broken. And in the first century, we get a little help. Because the Apostle Paul lived in the first century, and those first generation of Christians actually had a lot of tension with each other. And the Apostle Paul is going to talk about that, and we're going to learn from that. So Jesus lived in 33 AD. He was taken outside the city gates. The very people he came to love drug him out there, and they crucified him on a cross. They placed him in a tomb, and then three days later he rose again. We call that the resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. It's the most exciting thing in the Bible. And when you begin to grasp that, it's the most exciting thing in your life. But then about 20 years later, two groups of people began to fight each other. And there was this racial tension. It's right in the Bible between people we're going to call Jews, Jewish Christians, and people who are Gentile Christians. You say, what's a Gentile? A Gentile is somebody who's not Jewish. 
That's what, that's what it meant in the first century. And they were not getting along. So let's read our passage. I'm going to read it in Ephesians chapter 2. Grab your Bible, look it up on our church app, and we're going to read from the New Living Translation today, so the NIV, and Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And Paul's going to talk about these two different groups of people. And here's what he says. Verse 11, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who are proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. I want you to circle that phrase, living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. Circle the word citizenship. And you did not know the covenant promises of God God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Circle that word hope. But now you who have been united with Christ Jesus, once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. We're a little bit of a disadvantage understanding this passage because we didn't live in the first century. And so you had Jewish people who become Christians and people who were non-Jewish people, Gentiles, who became Christians. They brought two very different things to the table, different cultures, different languages. They were just different in so many ways. And it caused it caused barriers and it caused conflict and it caused finger pointing in the first century. And Jewish people would call uh, uh, Gentiles dogs. You know, we might say that's a positive thing, you dog, but not then. That was fighting words. That was fighting words. And of course, it worked both ways because people who were Romans or Gentiles, they they uh, often persecuted Jewish people. Let me tell you exactly how deep this hatred was. If you were a young Jewish man or woman and you got married to somebody who was a Gentile, your parents would hold a funeral service for you instead of a wedding ceremony because they would count you as dead to them. That's pretty harsh stuff. If you were a devout Jewish person and you were traveling uh, outside of the country of Israel, the minute you crossed over the line, you took your shoes off and, and dusted them off to make sure no Gentile dirt got into your country. And in fact, those ancient rabbis said that the only reason God created Gentiles was to have firewood for hell. Exactly. They thought Gentiles should be in hell and, and, and God would set them on fire to make it hot for people. That's how deep the bitterness and the hatred became. And in fact, um, Jewish midwives would not help a Gentile woman have a baby because they didn't want to be responsible for bringing another Gentile person into the world. Now, this hatred was severe, and the Romans actually crucified thousands upon thousands of Jewish people, executed them, murdered them. And so this bitterness and hatred had been going on for hundreds of years by the time Jesus came on the scene. And by the time Paul writes of this church, who was actually in Ephesus, was a mixture of people who are Jewish and a mixture of people who are, who are Gentile. Now, he says three things. I have three bullets for you. First off is that they were Christless. It's all in verse 12. I had you circle those. They were Christless. So Paul is saying that, hey, those Gentiles used to be like outsiders. They didn't know anything about the one true God. They were polytheistic. Jews are monotheistic, which means they believed in one God, but Romans might believe, people in Rome or other Gentiles, they would believe in many, many, many gods, and we call that polytheism. They had no idea they needed a Savior. 
They had no idea about, about Jesus and Paul saying, hey, they were far away, but they've been brought near. So they were Christless. So the word Christ, it's not his last name. Some people think, well, it's Mary Christ and Joseph Christ. Like that was his last name. No, Christ is a title. It, it's, it's saying that Jesus is the son of God. It means that he's the anointed one chosen to be the savior. He's been the savior for all eternity, the, the, the son of God. But now he has been brought close to people. First John 5.11 says, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let me ask you a question. If someone is apart from Christ, they don't have life. Do you care more about your 401k than you do about people? Do you care more about your leisure time than you do about people who are far away from God, that ought to break your heart. The second bullet point I want you to just notice here is friendless. So they were Christless, and next bullet is that they were friendless. Notice the word citizenship. So it's almost like saying they weren't part of the family of God, but now they are. Previously, you were just kind of friendless. You didn't have any relationships with people and separated from one another. I see a lot of that right now, that people are hungering for relationships. You're hungry to talk to people, to be in person, and maybe you're being distant because of health concerns. And so it just elevates that need that we have for friendship. And the third bullet point I want to focus on is this word without hope or hopeless. See, without Christ, you are hopeless, hopelessly lost. You won't have fulfillment in life without Christ. And Paul says that you can have hope. Now, this word hope means a confident expectation I meet a lot of people who don't have a lot of hope right now. Don't have a lot of hope about their finances. I meet so many people who are just feeling hopeless about their marriages and they've walked out. They've gotten a divorce. They've started that process. People are hopeless. Sometimes I go to other countries and teach at pastor's conferences and and whether I'm in Mexico or Honduras or Venezuela or the Southeast Asia, sometimes I see people in 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 poverty. And I can see the hopelessness that people have. There are people all over our community, all over our neighborhoods who have lost hope. If you're a Christ follower and you're listening to me, you have hope. And part of our responsibilities as ambassadors of Christ is to give hope to other people, is to walk across the street, walk across the room, extend a hand of friendship. That's part of our responsibility. That's something tangible that we can do. I was riding with a Eugene Police Department officer. I love this guy. And uh, we were out uh, riding around one morning. I think it was on a, it was on a Tuesday, Wednesday morning, about 8 a.m. And uh, we're driving around, and, and we come across a scene on a busy street, and there was a bunch of trash on the side of the street. And there was a tarp and other trash items. And the officer said, hey, I think there's somebody sleeping under all that stuff. And so we stop. And uh, sure enough, there was somebody sleeping. And the officer wakes him up, says, you can't be here. You're going to get run over. I mean, I, I can't believe you haven't been run over yet. You could have died here. And I, so he helped him get to a safe spot. So kudos for that officer. But you know what? When they woke him up and he said to him, you could have been killed sleeping here. 
And he looked up at him and he looked up at me. I'm standing right next to him and he says, I wish I would have been run over and put me out of my misery. I meet a lot of people who probably feel that way. A lot of misery. Oh, they may not admit that because that's quite a thing to admit. But when we are spiritually disconnected from God and separated from other people, the hopelessness and despair can be overwhelming. So the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, you may have felt that way, but now you are together in this thing called the church and you have hope. I believe this. I believe the church is the hope of the world. And you say, well, Steve, it's, it's Jesus, the hope of the world. Well, yes, Jesus is the hope of the world. But we have Jesus and we're here right now. And we need to make sure that people see the hope of Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, number three, Jesus broke down barriers and created a new movement. Sometimes people talk about which came first, the chicken or the egg. Sometimes theologians, and it might be dry and irrelevant to you and maybe boring, but sometimes theologians talk about which came first. Did God try to reconcile people to himself? Did Jesus try to get people to reconcile to him? Or did he try to get people to reconcile in human relationships? And, and I want to tell you, it's not one or the other. I think it's a both and thing. It's both and. We want people to be reconciled to Christ. And we want people to be reconciled to each other. I was just thinking about Jesus walking uh, around and he sees uh, Zacchaeus in the tree. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he? Up there in the sycamore tree. And Jesus says to him, come down today. I'm going to have dinner in your house. I'm sure it shocked people because Zacchaeus is an outsider. Jesus goes to his home and the relationship begins. So the relationship began first. And then he comes to faith in Jesus. It's a beautiful thing when it happens that way. I've had people join my small group before who were far away from Christ. And just because they develop positive, healthy relationships with other Christians eventually cross the line of faith. And that is so exciting. That's one of the reasons it's so important for us not to have barriers with people because your barrier with somebody else might be the barrier that keeps someone away from Jesus Christ. It's a sin for us to erect those kind of barriers. Racism is a sin. Looking down on people is a sin. All of those things can be, well, unhealthy for us. Let's read the passage here. It says in verse 14, Ephesians chapter 2, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. The us is Jew and Gentile. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the, circle this phrase, the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by, by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of Christ Jesus has done for us. God's design for the church is that we would come together, not lose our own uniqueness, but his design is that we would be a group that had harmony so that the world may know about Christ. So Jesus did that. It's no other way. 
through his death on the cross, the passage says. We can talk all day long about other ways to kind of solve things in our society, but at the root cause, it's spiritual. And at the root cause, we need to be part of the root, well, solution to it, of offering a hand to each other. In the Jerusalem temple, 2,000 years ago, they had the the, uh, big temple in Jerusalem. It was the size of, I'm calling it the... uh, Uh, Oregon Duck Autzen Stadium uh, complex. It was that size. I've been on that place and they had different walls and they had an inscription and I think we have it here for you on the screen and it was on the wall. It said, and I'm going to translate it for you. Okay, it's in Greek and it says this, cross this line, I kill you. Well, that's my paraphrase, but it's what it meant. And the Jewish people were telling the Gentiles, you don't belong here. You don't belong. In fact, they have two signs from that wall that have been dug up by archaeologists, one in 1871 and one in 1935. Both of them said the same thing. If you're a Gentile person, if you cross this line right here, you go on the other side of this wall, you get close to our temple, it's the capital punishment for you. We can't do those things in the church because Jesus Christ died for everyone, regardless of your skin color, regardless of your, the, your, your social status. While we were yet sinners, that would be all of us. Christ died for us. So let me ask you today. In fact, in your small group, uh, maybe after I'm done today, you can ask you, what are the barriers that we have built up between ourselves and others? What are those things that we've erected that make it difficult for us to talk about Christ? The gospel depends upon it. Don't let those things be a stumbling block to other people. I mean, money can be divisive. Paul talks, uh, James the apostle talks about that in James chapter 2. Don't show favoritism, biasness, prejudice to somebody who's wealthy. So we can't have that kind of class thing going on in the church. We got to put that away. When I first moved to Eugene 20 years ago, somebody came up to me and said, nice to meet you. I'm so-and-so and I'm from Spring, Tucky. I thought, Spring Tucky, what does that mean? And I had no idea, and they had to explain to me, well, people in Eugene look down upon people in Springfield, and they call us from Spring Tucky. It's supposed to be a diss on people. To be careful about such things. You know, we can discriminate and have biases against people because of the color of their skin, because of the way that they talk, their age. We can have all kinds of things, and we need to be careful about why. Because of the, because of the cause of the gospel. Barriers between people can become barriers to the gospel. Barriers between people can become barriers to the gospel, and we need to make sure we do not have those barriers. Too much is at stake. Eternal life is at stake. So the first thing to remove that hostility, Jesus Christ died to remove those those things between us and others. And the thing that really gets in the way is pride. See, that was the thing with the Jewish people. They were prideful that they had the Ten Commandments and that Moses was their hero. And they had people like King David in their background. They said, our heritage is better than all of yours because we have, we have God with the true God. You, you others got all these multiple gods and you're just way out to lunch. So it's a pride issue. So the berries you might have is pride. And what you need more than ever is humility. Maybe that's your step today, humility. So stop demanding that other people think like you do. Stop demanding that other people pick the same political client client person that you do. And stop demanding that people are just like you. There's probably enough people like Steve Hill. We don't need any more. My wife Mary would say amen to that. 
And you need to understand something that God loves variety. He wants people from all walks of life, all uh, ethnic backgrounds to be a part of this thing called the church. It's the new movement. The church is a movement of people, and we are in this new movement. For 2,000 years, the church has been growing. And the church has been proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. And more now than ever, we need to make sure we are proclaiming that message above all other things, because that is what will, what will change our culture. Harmony in relationships. That's what we're after. So instead of pointing fingers at other people, we need to be careful to point people to Jesus. Now, number four, let's think about this deeply. Number four, believers belong to the same family. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody do this, go same team, same team. I'm on the same team. So when I see another Christ follower, I need to, we're on the same team. Here's what Paul says in our passage. Now, all of us, verse 18, can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. He's saying, we're all part of the family of God. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And he and the, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his, by his spirit. Think of it this way. Spiritually, we're all on the same plane. Spiritually, we are equal. That's why in Galatians, Paul says, whether Jew or Greek, male or female, we have equal standing before God. Because no matter what your skin color is, you're created in the image of God with dignity as well. Christ saves us. He saves us for his glory so that we might be a model to everyone else as well. All racism is a grievous sin. And unfortunately, the church has not always spoken out against it. You might not know this about me, but I often read things about history, and my doctorate dissertation was in the area of history, and I want to tell you something about the church. In the past, the church has failed miserably when it comes to the, air, comes to the issue of racism. Miserably. That's part of the reason we got problems today, because God's people did not respond well. Not at all. Think of Jesus' words, John 15, 12. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way as I've loved you. One of the reasons we have a lack of peace in relationships is because there's a lack of love today. And instead of loving one another, we are just tolerating one another, or even worse, biases, prejudice, and racism against others doesn't mean we approve of everything that people do. No, we're not talking about that. Not even close. Of course, we don't approve of everything that people, that people will be doing. But let me remind you about something. We were doing all kinds of things when Jesus Christ saved us. So let's not harp on those things. Otherwise, in one sense, we're being hypocritical. I want to tell you something about myself. I grew up in a small rural place in western Kansas, 
and here's how small it was. My high school had about 100 students. Not one was black or Hispanic or any other race. The county where I went to high school only had 2,000 people total. And so I did not grow up in a place that had uh, people different races. I do remember this about my parents. I remember them saying one time that a restaurant in our town would not serve black people in the 1950s. I was born in 1962, so they were saying, hey, it, it used to be this way. And they spoke harshly against that. It grieved them that someone could do that to another person. I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten that. I think we as parents need to be, well, communicating those things to our children as well. That's one thing that we can do. I went off to college. My uh, world expanded greatly as I met people from other ethnic backgrounds, whether they were from uh, other places in the United States or other countries as well that I studied next to in classes. And, and then I moved to Dallas, Texas along the way. And, and Mary and I lived in a neighborhood where we were basically the only, only people who were white on our street. I say all this just to say that's my background. Those are just my experiences. And I don't know what your experiences are, but I do know this. That if we have barriers to people, we need to get rid of those. And we need to point people to the church of Jesus Christ. I don't know how many of you listening today are black or Hispanic or, or Asian or, or what your ethnic background is, but I, wanna, I want you to hear it from me, your pastor. I love you. I'm glad you're coming to our church. We want to welcome everyone who walks through the doors. That's what we're about because that's what Jesus would do as well. Sometimes I hear people say, well, a lot of this stuff happened in the past. Why bother with it? I get that. But then I remember a passage in the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 9. And Daniel says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confess, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. What's interesting to me about that passage is that Daniel was not one of those who had sinned. This is 70 years later. He's confessing what his ancestors did. It's just simply acknowledging that there is a problem. It's acknowledging that something is wrong. And that's what we need to be about as well. I think it's important that we acknowledge the past. I think it's important that we confess that. I think it's important that we acknowledge what's wrong in the present. I think it's important that we keep our... Focus on the future. There are lots of things in our culture that has gone haywire, and we need to be the church who models what is right. 1 John 4.20 says this, If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? That's an incredible statement. It sounds like what Jesus would have said. And maybe John the Apostle who wrote that, maybe that's exactly what he heard him say at one point. I'm reminded of a passage in Revelation 7-9. It says this, John is writing again. He says, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. Now, I want you to think of this, that he sees people from every tribe, from every nation. Now, how can he see that? It's because he could see their skin color and their ethnic backgrounds. He could see it. 
I got news for you. Someday, we're all going to be resurrected. We're going to have resurrected bodies. And when I get resurrected, I'm going to have the same body and I'm going to be white. If you're black, you're going to be resurrected and you're going to have a black body or Asian body or whatever. If you're bald, you might have hair or you might be thinner. I don't know about that stuff, but you know what? We're going to have the same body. You better get used to it for all eternity. That's why it's so important that we have harmony now because God's design is that we're going to have harmony in the future as well. I want to give you one thing to think about today that you might take a step in this. And here it is. Write this down. Tell somebody. Make a new friend. That's it. Make a new friend. Walk across the street. Cross your cubicle where you work. Somebody who's different than you. And just make a new friend. You might learn from them. In fact, don't hesitate to even bring up race if you feel, but I have a warning for you. Don't make that person a project. People are not projects. Jesus Christ came from heaven and walked across all eternity, the galaxies, and came to this world to meet you. And the least of what we can do, I would think, is to do the same thing and to make a new friend. We call that incarnational ministry. Just show up. Make a friend. You may not be able to do everything with thousands or millions of people who are feeling hurt and those things. I can do it for one person. I can do it for one. I wish we could do it for all. But I can do it for one. And that's my challenge for you today. Do it for one. Would you bow your head with me and just pray? I know it's weird if you're watching on TV. So I don't know if I want to do that. Just bow your head with me. And let's pray together. Lord, we come before you knowing that things are not right. And we confess that. And God, we want to take steps forward to make new friends so that we can point people to your son, Jesus. And we pray this in his powerful name. Amen.